Hello, I'm Lara Hamilton. Welcome to Book Larder Podcast, where we share author talks from the kitchen of Seattle's Community Cookbook Shop. This week, we're turning our attention to cocktails. Books about crafting your own have been really popular over the past few years. And as more titles hit the market, the bar, so to speak, for what makes a great cocktail book just keeps getting higher and higher. Now, these books are really as much cookbook as mixing guide. In fact, a cocktail book from the folks behind the bar at Death & Co. won the James Beard Award for Cookbook of the Year this year. Our guest today, Christian Rolich, is an innovator in the farm-to-cocktail movement and even called his first book Bar Chef. He runs the beverage program at Suzanne Goen and Carolyn Stein's Luke Restaurant Group in L.A., so his cocktails have to hold their own with some of the best food in that city. He demonstrated a few recipes in our kitchen this April, including his own take on a Negroni, which also happens to be one of my favorite drinks of summer. I was so inspired by his author talk that I made the bitter aperitivo he discusses at the beginning of this recording, and I highly recommend it. If you want to try it yourself, you can get a copy of Bar Chef for 10% off by visiting booklarder.com and entering the code podcast at checkout. Please don't be put off by the list of ingredients. This is a really simple, straightforward recipe, and you can have your own aperitivo in about 24 hours if you give it a go. For all those aromatics, there's a really great shop in Seattle called Dandelion Botanics. They ship across the U.S., and we will put a link in the show notes. So if you are inspired to do this, you can get the ingredients without any trouble. Just one more thing, a gentle heads up that this recording includes some fairly spicy language, casual bartender swearing, if you will. You might want to keep that in mind if you have a younger listener with you. Here's the bar chef, Christian Rolich. Hi. Well, this is a nice welcome. Thank you. I've uh, done a few of these things, and they're always different. Like uh, sometimes people come in, and I just sit and sign. Sometimes we do dinners, and I sign, and I talk. Or sometimes people make cocktails, and I sign. Or sometimes I make cocktails and I sign, but never this. So, so, so stick with me. I wrote some points on that, uh, like how I started as a, a bar guy, because this is not a 15-year-old says how to do, like going to be a bar chef. But we're here anyway. So uh, I wanted to do, uh, start with a little quote from uh, Charles H. Baker. You guys know him? Well, at the end, you will. Like he's an old-school uh, cocktail writer. He uh, wrote a lot with Hemingway and... The last cocktail that I'm going to show you, it's a play on a Hemingway uh, cocktail. So he says, we are still hardly of the opinion that decent libation supports as many millions lives as it threatens. Donates pleasure and sparkle to more lives than it shadows and inspires more brilliance in the world of art, music, letters, and common ordinary intelligent conversation than it shadows. And I find that always, because you know, like we are working with alcohol and that's the flip side. But I'm sure we all know. So like, uh, where do we begin? My philosophy, I want to start with the philosophy and then I start how I get there actually. So this is a Negroni, but it's not like your regular Negroni. I'm sure you, have, you taste it and like all these strange flavors that are in there. So there's three ingredients, gin, Campari, and sweet vermouth. So I replaced the gin with something that's dear to my heart. It's a Ginevra. You guys familiar with Ginevra? That's all good. Uh, no, no, no. Like, I just want to make sure that, you know, like, I'm not just skipping over things. Uh, this is from the most beautiful country in the world, the Netherlands. <laughs> I'm from there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyhow, like, uh, there was a 
this is the predecessor to gin. And so basically they had a, a, a malted wine, which was really, really gross. And they tried to mask the flavor with juniper. And so Geneva actually translates to juniper. So how it became to gin, there was a Spanish Inquisition and the Spaniards, they moved up north and they stopped in the Netherlands. And there was a war for 80 years with the Dutch, but the Dutch were a small country and they were a seafaring country, but they weren't about to beat the Spaniards without help from the English. Now the English came and they thought, they thought these Dutch people are a little crazy. And they have a Dutch curate and it comes in a little stone bottle and it looks like this bottle, but then made of stone. And they would always drink that before they go into battle. So these English people thought that, you know what? We need, to, we need this too. So they brought it with them to England and they started making gin. So technically speaking, when you talk about gin, it's a high proof grain spirit that's flavored. So it's a flavored vodka. Now, don't get offended, uh, but, the, but in essence, that's really what it is. So like, but I used to, this uh, malted spirit, it's the oldest distilling uh, spirit company in the world. They've been making spirits for 400 years and it's really dear to my heart. So I replaced that for the gin. Campari, I'm sure you had drank Campari before. Now this is where I really come in because this is really what I love to do. I make Campari and I make sweet vermouth. That's the recipe's in the book, don't worry. <laughs> if you don't want to make it, totally fine. Campari tastes great too. But I just, my bar program is set up in a way that all specials become artisanal cocktails. And I do this by making all ingredients from scratch. So I make my own orange liqueur, I make my cherry liqueur, I make sweet vermouth, I make dry vermouth, I make Campari, bitters, I make everything. I don't make absinthe, but that's a work in process. Um, so when you look at Campari uh, on its own, it's uh, red, it's bitter, it's slightly sweet. I mean, those are the main flavors that you will get when you drink that. However, when you start making it, you know, like, and you compare your own recipe to Campari, there's something missing. Because technically speaking, all these flavors that you find in Campari, they're all really big flavors, and they all want to be the big dog. But they can't, because there's only two, the bitterness and the sweetness. That's what Campari is. And everybody else are little pawns that are kind of dancing around those big dogs. And if you let everybody big, big dogs, it doesn't really taste good. And I tried it. Um, played for a long time with it. And in the book, I write about like, using beets in order for the color. And it's really cool when you make one bottle. When you start making gallons at a time, the beet gets a dominant flavor as well and becomes kind of earthy. So for what you drank today, I, I used dye. I just want to give you a heads up that that's what I use. And why doesn't my Campari look like Christian's Campari? That's why. And then I wanted to make sweet vermouth. I just thought it'd be cool. I'll come to that why I thought it was cool. But so I looked at uh, sweet vermouth that I liked. So I picked a couple and then I was like, you know, this one tastes like that. This one tastes like that. And this one, and I make notes of everything. And then I compare, which, what, what do I like from which one? So like what I came up with, what I liked is burnt sugar. Did you ever burn sugar before? No, I hadn't. So I Googled it. <laughs> so like I Googled it. Burnt sugar, oh, that's easy. Like, so I just burnt the sugar, added white wine, uh, and then I added a bunch of flavors to it. And then I came to a sweet vermouth. And all these three ingredients make the Negroni that you drank today. All the recipes are in the book, but like, I didn't always just do this. So once upon a time, a long, long time ago, I was 14 years old and I wanted to be in the hospitality business. So I do what every good uh, little kid does. He goes to the tavern in his village. Now I grew up in a cobblestone village, windmills, petting zoos, you name it. So I knocked on the door. I said, like, I want to work in your restaurant. 
And the, and the guy is like, he looked at me, what can you do? Well, uh, I never worked in my life before. So, like, <laughs> so he's like, you know what? Come back next year. Literally a year later, I knock on his door and I say, I'm 15. Can I work in your, in, in your tavern, please? And he looked at me and he thought, at least he's got passion. So, <laughs> so he let me work in his restaurant as a dishwasher. That's where I got my first taste of the restaurant. From there on, I started working in nightclubs in Amsterdam. And this was a whole different ballgame, actually. Suddenly, like, it's like high volume, craziness and stuff. You name it, it goes. Uh, I've seen everything and craziness. And, but there's some stories in the book. Um, I worked at the carnival for a while because I went to university, actually. Like, uh, so I, oh, sorry, let me rephrase this. I started at 14, 15, and then uh, I went to university because my, my dad was like, you have to go to university. My dad owned a mental institution, and he's like, you know, you got to finish school. I'm like, okay, dad, I'll go to university. And so I, I went there for six months, and after six months, this sucks. Just like, I did not like that at all. Hospitality was so much cooler. I ran away with the carnival. Uh, I wanted to live my life like a boy's dream, and I just went for it. Like, I just, I... And my dad was so mad. He's like, Christian, I'll pay for everything. Like, uh, I'll send you to school in England. I'll send you to like whatever you want. I'll pay for it. I was like, oh, let me sign up another year. And like, so I went for another year with the carnival. And after that, oh, sorry, carnival, I got drunk for the first time. I've got to share that story. I'm sure you remember your own uh, story when you got drunk for the first time. You're lying to me if you don't. Um, mine was at the carnival. And I didn't drink. I was a young kid. And like, uh, so I'm traveling with all these carnies. And this is exactly what you imagine it to be. Little trashy, like <laughs> stealing bikes, girls in every city, a lot of craziness. And so, so these carnies, they drank a lot of beer, and I didn't like beer particularly much. So like I was drinking Bacardi and Coke, and like they drank a beer, I drank a Bacardi and Coke. So now in a, a cocktail in the Netherlands at this time, what's a Bacardi and Coke or a vodka OJ? And we didn't call it a screwdriver, we called it a vodka OJ. So I was drinking these Bacardi and Cokes, and I got really, really drunk, and like I stood up, smashed my head on the floor, and they went out and partied, and it was a bloody, crazy night. But that was my first uh, drunk night. I wrote it down in the book in a little more, more detail than this. Anyhow, I moved to the United States after a while. And I had this idea to, to tell my dad, like, hey, you know what? Like, I know you don't like what I do, but I can go to the United States maybe to school. Like, how's that? And he said, okay, that sounds like a plan. He paid for it. And I saved up some money. I had $1,000 in my pocket. United States, here I come. And the thing that I did not want was to come back to the Netherlands with my tail between my legs. Uh, so I had to make this work. So I came on Melrose Avenue in Los Angeles, and there was all these kids, and they all had thick accents and stuff, and they all came from somewhere else. And I was like, how do you guys work here? And they're like, oh, you know, you, you kind of get a social security number, and then you make a copy of it, and then you wipe it out, and you make another copy, and you wipe it out, <laughs> and another copy. And then you say, here, I forgot my social security card. Can I work here, please? So I did. I paid taxes, and yes, I was illegal. Um, <laughs> But anyhow, I did it for a while, but I really wanted to go back to the service industry because I really enjoyed that. So then there was a, a restaurant that turned into a nightclub called Le Deux Café. It was in the late 90s, early 2000s. It was owned by Michel Lamy. It was a farm-to-table place, but they were kind of slinging drinks. It wasn't really about the cuisine. It was all about the celebrity and everything that goes outside the kitchen. Like, uh, everybody who's famous came prostitutes, drugs, everything there. And that was really interesting for a young 21-year-old boy. He thought, oh, whoa, this is crazy. This is Hollywood. And like, but it wasn't really about the food. And then I ended up at Luke. You guys familiar with Luke? <laughs> Luke was a whole different ballgame. So I couldn't be just slinging drinks anymore. Like I couldn't just like, ah, it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Oh, you don't like what I do? Fuck you. You know, there's the manager. Go talk to her. Like, see, like, it wasn't like that. This is like serious business. 
we had like um, every food writer you can imagine would sit at my bar. Like we had Jonathan Gold, a Pulitzer Prize food critic for the LA Weekly back then. He would sit at my bar or he would have take his wife for mom's night out or like all kinds of crazy things. And I had to step it up. I couldn't just like wing it anymore. Like everything goes under a microscope. So this is where I started playing. So one day, Carolyn Stein, Suzanne's uh, business partner, comes to me. He's like, can you come up with a cocktail? I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> what can I use? And he's like, you can use anything you want. Anything? So I walked into Suzanne's walk-in. It's like two walls full of produce, fresh, everything. So like, I just played around and I came up with a drink and they loved it. And I was so surprised. It's like, oh, this is nice. People like what I do. So I came on the menu and I started making more cocktails and more cocktails. And this is where I try to put my stamp on what I do. I started making things from scratch. So I'm making my syrups and stuff. Uh, one afternoon, we couldn't get bitters anymore. Angostura bitters was out. Now there's this book that's right here from Brett uh, Parson. He had a book that uh, is called Bitters. It's like, oh, this is how I make bitters? That's not too difficult. Like, so I started making, and now, I don't know if you've read the book Bitters, but Brett's idea of that book is that you take every recipe and make it your own. And like, you don't have to follow it straight to the heart. And, and like, so in my book, like, I have like, cross out, this should be that, that should be that. And that's how you take a recipe. That's how I write my recipes. That's when I write Campari, I want you to take that recipe and, it's like, and make it your Campari. Like, what do you like about Campari that's so cool? What do you like about sweet vermouth that's so cool? So I took what I like about bitters and I made my own bitters. And it worked really well. And then I started experimenting with all the other stuff. I really started making a stamp for myself. So we have three restaurants. We have Luke, AOC, and Tavern. And they're all different. So Luke is all classics because it's a classic restaurant. AOC is just fun, like a party kind of thing. And then Tavern is all riffs on classic. So they're like a classic, but I swapped everything out. So this is where I really start making a name for myself. And, and then the Green Goddess came. That was a really, like, that was mind changing for me. Because actually, so I was making all these cool drinks. And I was making cocktails for celebrities. So I was doing their weddings and stuff. Uh, Drew Barrymore's house, like Star Wars guy's wedding. Like I did it all. And it was really cool. But nobody knew that, it, that I did that because we're known for our food. It was all about Suzanne. And so one day I went did a catering for Prada. They had a tasting. So like when, when I come to your house or when you ask me to do a tasting, I give you six cocktails and you pick what you like and I make it for you. And they, they liked it. And then two weeks later, they called me and said, hey, you know what? We have some management out of New York. Can you do it again? Sure, I'll do it again. This is not typical. So I did it again. Two days later, I get another phone call. Hey, our people from Europe are here. Can you do it again? I was like, what? Now you're kind of pushing it. But I did it again. So I'm about to leave. I grab all my stuff. Like I'm set up like this. I grab my stuff. And about the time to leave, they say, like, hey, you know what? Tomorrow's during the day. Like the sun is shining. Can you make a non-alcoholic drink that's not, not a juice, but not, you know, not like sweet either? Can you do that? And can you make it green? I'm like... Sure. <laughs> of course I can do that. Like, what? <laughs> and so like, I grab all my stuff. I'm like, fuck, what I get myself into? So like, I go to a walk-in. I grab everything that's green. I grab cilantro. I grab basil. I grab like, jalapeno. I grab like, like, literally everything that's green. And like, I start making five gallons of it for the events the next day. And I bring this five-gallon batch with me. And I give it to the party planner. It's like, here you go. Here's your green drink. He's like, what you call it? I'm like, it's a green drink. Please take it. <laughs> the catering uh, manager is Suzanne's sister, Jessica Gowan. Now, Suzanne, when she came up as a, a chef in the culinary world in Los Angeles, she was known for her salads. They're all super fresh. So she was known as the green goddess. 
And actually, it's, it's a reference to a, a, a dressing out of San Francisco, actually. But that was her nickname. And like, so they put that on my cocktail. Like, looking back on it, it's really cool. But back then, I was like, oh, this, whatever, Green Goddess. <laughs> now, this Green Goddess took me everywhere. Like, it came in every newspaper. It came in Bon Appetit. It came in, like, LA Times, LA Weekly, LA whatever magazine. And it was really cool for me. And then Carolyn Suzanne's like, hey, we're opening a new restaurant. A or, like, AOC is going to get a liquor license. Can you put this on the cocktail menu? It's like, no, 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 no. That's not going to work. So, like, when you have a non-alcoholic drink, you have, say, like, four ounces in a cocktail, right? So I have, like, four ingredients, four ounces. Now, this is liquor normally in a cocktail. This is acid, and this is sweet. So, that, so that's how my cocktail works. So, but now it's a non-alcoholic cocktail, so now I have four ounces of flavor in here. And they said, now, now make it with vodka. So basically, I take two ounces out and put it with nothing, because the definition of vodka is an odorless, flavorless spirit. And then I have half the flavor. So that didn't work. So I'm like, you know what? Like, I like your idea, but like, no. So I... <laughs> but Suzanne doesn't take no for an answer. <laughs> so I had to revisit the, the, the recipe and like started infusing with green tea. And then I like, got a little absinthe to the rinse and like, and it became the green goddess, but then with uh, vodka. And that really put me on the, on the map with cocktail wise and people started writing about it. And I became what I am today, uh, right here. Now, this is all cool and well, and that's kind of my story, how I got here with you guys. But now we've got to make a cocktail, right? That's really <laughs> what you're here for. Like, how are you going to make a cocktail? So you're at home, and this is actually really cool, because normally I make this cocktail with cola syrup, but I left my cola syrup at the hotel. Now, what do you do? Because this is really cool, because this is what you get. You go in your fridge, and you're like, huh, I wonder what I have. Oh, I don't have anything. I can't make a cocktail. You know what? I'll buy margarita mix. Do not do that. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you have honey, you have sugar, you have maple syrup. So like, I asked Jen, do you have maple syrup? Yes, he did. Now, normally like I, I do it with a little lime juice. Uh, so once upon a time, there was this guy, Charles Baker. He wrote a cocktail book with Hemingway. They were sailing the Gulf Stream together. And they would get really, really drunk at night. And he would feel, feel horrible the next day. And they tried to come up with new cocktails to make himself feel better. So they had this whole sling of cocktails, like death in the afternoon, death in the Gulf Stream, death in the you-know-what, like, because they would feel horrible. Now, this is a riff on the death in the Gulf Stream. So, like, uh, it's made with uh, Ginevra. I told you the story about Ginevra. And it's um, made with lime and bitters, because it had to be strong, it had to be sour, and it had to be bitter. And if you must, you can add a little bit of sugar to it. Now, these were different times, so like now you can add a little bit more than that. When you travel, you, I can't bring everything with me, so I don't have crushed ice and stuff. So normally, like what I do, glass, you all have this at home or something, and you have a lime. So a lime gives about an ounce, give or take, of lime juice. Now, like what I want in this drink, actually, is actually the, the, the peel of the lime, because the peel of the lime has oils in there, and the oils actually give flavor to your drink. So I squeeze this in there. I drop it in there as well, bam. And normally I, I built this in the glass because normally I don't have, say you're at home, you don't have shakers. So you just put it all in here. You put your liquor in here. You put your syrup in here and your juice. Put a little crushed ice on top and you have to drink. And don't forget the bitters because it had to be bitter. Now, I forgot my crushed ice. So what do you do? I, I take this glass. I got a shaker. I got to improvise. So I'm going to take a little bit of my mix, but I do an ounce and a half. Now it's a Negroni mix, but you get the gist. 
the lime juice is in there. So like normally like a, what I work for is a two ounce of liquor, one ounce of lime juice, and three quarter ounce of sweet. And the reason why I do this, because I work in a restaurant. Now the worst thing in a restaurant is a sweet cocktail, because a sweet cocktail makes you eat less. And in the end, like we're here in the business of selling food. Um, I mean, like it sounds kind of weird, but that's really what it is. We're selling food. So like mine are a little more sour than what you normally get. And you'll, you'll find this in the book as well. So when you take a recipe from the book and you're like, oh, this is sour, just add a little sugar to it. It's fine. Uh, but for this one, like I wanted it sour. I wanted to have that like the brightness that opens up to the Geneva and stuff. This is the same ice that you have at home because I got it from this fridge here. <laughs> so I know that's what you guys, this is what I work with. And like the idea of the book was actually to make it for you at home. Like there are some geeky bar stuff in there that you can totally do like when you're like behind a super cool bar. But most people don't have a super cool bar at home. They just have like ice from the fritz and like and some ingredients and, and that's really it. So I got my shakers. So when you hold a shaker, you hold it like a football. Back and forth. Now you can go up and down, up and down. You can do all that, that's really pretty. But like in the essence, it's about uh, the, the ice that's going back and forth. When you make cocktails for a long time, you hear the ice break. When the ice breaks, it's time to stop. You, you, there's a, there is such a thing as shaking too long. There is such a thing as making too watery of a cocktail. So you don't, it's not about, like when you read books, and it's like, oh, I shake them for 20 seconds. That's actually really long. So now it's a different kind of uh, looking color. Uh, because I used my uh, uh, Campari mix. So originally I had a disc glass, but I feel this tall glass is going to fit better. Voila. So normally you have crushed ice, right? And then the, the cool thing about a crushed ice drink is that when you put bitters on top, it just sits on top and it looks really pretty. Now, I made my own bitters. So when you make a bitters, you can make it your bitters. You want to make your red bitters? You can make your red bitters. You want to make a dark bitter? You can make a dark bitters. Mine is a natural bitters. It's just like ingredients, 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 alcohol, sugar, and that's it. So it doesn't have a lot of color. Put it on top. And technically speaking, it's called a death in the Gulf Stream. But mine, I call it a companion because like it comes from a, the cocktail book, The Gentleman's Companion from Charles Baker. Cheers, guys. <laughs> Thank you for coming today. Do you guys have any questions? Sorry I was all over the place. Yes, sir. When you create something new, like, how do you do it? Do you start from something that kind of you have an idea of something existing and you shift it? Or no, you... like, what do you like to eat, like, fruit-wise? Yeah, like something that you think, like, oh, you know what? Lychees. Lychees. So, like, so that's super cool. I love passion fruit. Actually never worked with lychees before. I do a lot of research before I start actually working on the idea. There's a few books that, like, really change the way I look at cocktails. Uh, there's some classic books. The book that really helped me a lot making a lot of cocktails really fast is the Flavor Bible. But it's not the tell-all book. It's a guide. So like I take passion fruit, for example. What do you think of when you eat passion fruit? Like I only work with fresh stuff. So like I don't get the, the juice or like, uh, so I could take a fresh passion fruit. I saw them at the market here. Cut them open, get a bunch of slime out. Tastes delicious. Now what? The sun is shining. You know what? I want a rum drink. What kind of rum do I want to use? Do I want to use like a, a white rum? Do I want to use an H rum? Do I want to use a rum margicol? But this is a very grassy, aggressive flavor. Now, why would I use that? Because my passion fruit has, has body to it. Like, like when you put passion fruit in anything, it dominates the whole cocktail. And that's something you don't want. So now I have a rum margicol and passion fruit. Now, what works well with that? Maple syrup works well with that. 
maybe like a little coffee works well with that. Now, but like now you need to have a syrup. Maybe you can use a simple syrup or you can make the passion fruit into a syrup. And then so like I start melt, melting the flavors together. And, and, and the key ingredient of a cocktail is to have multiple layers, like a glass of wine. You know, like you don't want to have just like a one note. You don't want to have just passion fruit. You don't want to have just rum. You want to have like the mixture of both and then an extra layer in the bottom that goes on the back. Or that's how I make a cocktail. For me, it's, it's not to tell. Tell like, you know, you can do passion fruit just alone. But like, that's kind of how I go about it. And maybe it didn't work. Maybe the rum was like, oh, that's a really great idea. And then it sucked. Because that happens too. <laughs> so what else can you use? You know, like tequila works well with the sun. Maybe it's better with tequila. Or maybe it's better with, with gin or like Geneva. Or like, it's just trial and error. In the beginning, it was really trial and error. Now I kind of have, like, if you give me passion fruit, I'll make you a drink. It wasn't always like that. That's just like really like trying things out and doing it again and again. And being not afraid to fail. That's how the creative process works. I'm not going to do that because like maybe it's not going to work. Then you're never going to know. Go for it all. Yes, miss? Um, if you were to choose one drink from this book that you really think we should make. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a difficult question. So like uh, people ask me, what do you drink? I drink Heineken. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's a true story. Like, and I drink tequila neat, like just Blanco. It doesn't have to be special as long as it's not Patron or so. I, I like the Companion a lot. And uh, uh, why I li- like that drink? Because it's so simple. Like, I think the beauty is in the simplicity of the cocktail. Yeah, the Companion. Yes? I was wondering if you have some kind of rules or uh, like philosophy when it comes to food pairing and cocktail. Like, you... Well, like, it's really interesting. So, like, so we have a Sunday supper, said Luke. So, like, Suzanne always describes what I do. Like, I'm trying to bridge the, the difference between the kitchen and the front of the house. And when you look at a restaurant, there's a lot of restaurants that have phenomenal kitchens and they follow really farm-to-table rules and philosophies. But when it comes to the bar, they don't. So like I try to bridge what she does in the kitchen to uh, the front of the house. And I started by doing so by Sunday suppers where she makes uh, a pre, uh, three-course menu. It's an appetizer, your choice of main course, and then dessert. And so she gives me the menu, and then I have to come up with a cocktail to match that. And so basically, when you look at the menu, there's an appetizer, two main courses you can pick from, then dessert, and then a cocktail. You, and that's additional if you want to. But that cocktail has to be working with the menu, because what's the point of having a cocktail if it doesn't work, if it doesn't go hand in hand? So like I look at the flavors that she uses, if she uses big flavors, soft flavors, and then I start just like and certain ingredients that I think are really interesting because not every ingredient works for a cocktail. Like originally when I, I wrote the book, this is a really funny story. You've, you've seen the Sunday supper book. It's divided by season. And so the cool thing, I thought, you know what? Like I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to do like a, a spring and then a summer, a fall and a winter. And so I was writing like the, the summer and I was writing the fall and I was writing the winter and I was like, oh, this is all really cool. And then came to spring. And then there's a bunch of beans and, and greens and like chives and like, I'm like, oh, that doesn't work. So, <laughs> uh, but I do look at the ingredients that she uses and try to either match it or stuff that uh, complements it. Always the dessert is a very easy way in and the appetizers are easy ways in. But I don't shy away from like using, uh, say like uh, Suzanne used a lot of harissa. Uh, you guys familiar with that? Mm-hmm. I love how like educated you are. <laughs> uh, but she makes a play on that, like as she calls it, a green harissa. 
And I really like that flavor profile. So it uses uh, parsley and cilantro, cumin, caraway, jalapeno, garlic, and olive oil. And then you have a green harissa. That by itself doesn't work, obviously, because like garlic in a drink, unless it's a bloody, it's not really, um, it just doesn't work. So like I, I look at that recipe and then it's like, what if I take out the garlic? What if I take out the oil and see how those other four ingredients work together? And then I came up uh, with a drink called uh, Leaf and Spare, which is also in there. Yeah. And uh, Leaf and Spare is a, a name of a kale, actually, varietal. So names, uh, when you name a cocktail, that's also a, a whole thing. Like uh, in the beginning, I was like, so like Suzanne had a thing uh, for Savoir Magazine. Savoir Magazine came to Los Angeles and she had a whole spread in it. And she's like, uh, or they called me and it's like, Christian, can you come up with a cocktail? Yeah, sure. Had to be an Angelino cocktail kind of thing. So like something that's super fresh. And I called it a 323, which is like the, the LA area code. And I, th I thought it was kind of clever. Now, like that was a really clever cocktail and it worked really well. And then like a week later, I come up with another cocktail. I was like, oh, I don't know what to call this. You know what? I'm going to give it numbers. That's really easy. And then like this, I did this for like a couple of weeks. And then somebody came in and it's like, hey, uh, can you make me number 19? And I'm like, and I couldn't remember for the life of me what it was. So like the name has actually like has to, some reference to the ingredients that I use in the cocktail. So like, yeah, yes. Do craft cocktail makers kind of copy each other or play riffs on each other and kind of? Interesting question. So I try not to be the craft cocktail guy. And like meaning by this, like I use this ice. Like I don't like, so I work in a restaurant. So. When you look at my bar, it's a small bar. I don't have any room for special freezers. I don't have room for special ice. I don't have any room for special glasses. I don't, I have regular glasses. The fanciest glass I have is like, like a, a beautiful pills glass and that's it. I don't, I just don't have room for it. So I had to figure out a way that I was going to be different than all the other guys. So like, that's how I came to making my own ingredients, to having the same philosophy uh, make, I make my own gin. I make my own Campari and sweet vermouth and dry vermouth. And, and that sets me apart. So I don't have to borrow uh, anything from anybody. Now, a cool thing about this, the, your question. So one day I come up with a cocktail. It had some grapefruits and some cucumber and uh, some gin or so. And I go across the street and they have a similar cocktail. I'm like, dude, you stole my drink. Like, but in the essence, like everybody knows that goes well together. You know, like, you know, like. So do you borrow it? A lot of people come up with the same thing at the same time. It's just a really strange thing how that happens. Yeah, like when you learn how to make cocktails, it's really good to pay attention to everybody and give all you guys uh, an apple pie recipe. And every apple pie will be different because everybody makes it different or like a little nuance, like how to keep it out or longer inside the oven or whatever they do. It's the same with cocktails, but it's good to try every which one because then you know what you like and what you don't like. So is it good to go to other craft cocktail bars and see how to do it? Yeah, but then you also know what you don't like about that. And so are you serving kind of to your taste or to your so taste as well? I, I, so the cocktails that I make, I make because I like. And I, because I have the philosophy that they go well within the group. Um, however, if somebody comes to me and says, I want a Long Island iced tea, I make it for you, <laughs> and no issue with that at all. Or lemon drops or Cosmos. Like I did an interview with a Punch. It's like a cocktail uh, magazine, and they asked me like, "What cocktail would, wouldn't you mind if it would be this like barred forever? Like wouldn't be here anymore?" <laughs> but you know, like in life, like all these 
dumb things that you do, like drinking Long Island iced teas too many, <laughs> like makes you who you are. It gives you your flavor profile. It makes you know what you like and makes you also know what you don't like. So I think every cocktail is there for a reason. And at a certain time in your life, you need to try that in order to know what you don't like. Or maybe you do like it and it's just totally fine. What brand of gin would you recommend? Well, so like this is a really funny question, or that's not a funny question, but like, uh, so uh, the book is divided uh, in a vodka, gin, rum, tequila, whiskey, brandy, and the geek out chapter. And the geek out chapter has all the the, the stuff that I like to make, like the vermouth and stuff. But every chapter I recommend a few spirits, like, I don't know, five or six spirits that, and like for me, I want you to be able to go to the grocery store and buy something. I don't want you to be going to the store and like, Oh, uh, Christian recommended some obscure gin that there's only one store in Seattle that carries it. Like, I don't want... You probably won't get it at Trader Joe's. Uh, but a, a good liquor store should have it. Yeah, like a K&L or so, or like, um, I don't know. What... Yes, exactly. There you go. They should have that. Yeah. And... So you're saying substitute then? No, no, no. Like, I recommend beef eater. Like... You want a London Dry? Get beef eater. Like, like, this tastes like gin. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like, like, you know, you want a London Dry? That is a London Dry. That's the quintessential of what a London Dry is. Why would I recommend something different than that? I mean, like, if you want Tanqueray, use Tanqueray. Like, I'm not really like, like, it's to tell all. Se- se- Christian says this is the rule, therefore it should be like that. I'm not that guy. So. When we wrote a proposal for the book, like I suddenly I had to say, like, why I was so much better than anybody else? Why is the book going to sell better? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't want to be that guy like, that says my book is better than PDT or, like, or this gin is better than that gin. Like, you drink what you like. It's your cocktail. And I make you what you like. Chris, yeah. thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you to Christian Rolich for visiting us in Seattle and to W.W. Norton Publishing for sending him to us. As always, you can get 10% off a copy of Bar Chef and any other books featured on the Booklarder podcast by visiting booklarder.com and entering the code podcast at checkout. This episode was produced and edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme music was composed by James Coley. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where our handle is at Booklarder. And if you leave us a review, we might even feature it in our Instagram stories. We really appreciate those. For more information about Booklarder, including author talks, cooking classes, and to join our monthly email newsletter, visit booklarder.com. And if you find yourself in Seattle, please visit us at 4252 Fremont Avenue North. I'm Lara Hamilton. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.